message this morning, Lord, hear our cry. Lord, hear our cry. Psalm 115, verse 1. We'll be reading from there and several other passages of Scripture. Lord, hear our cry. Lord, hear our cry. Father, I want to thank you with all my heart. I want to praise you from the depths of my being for how faithful, how merciful you truly are. To thank you for just how good you truly are, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for drawing us to yourself this morning. Give us an understanding of the moment in which we live. Give us insight to how we ought to be living at this time, Lord, and what we need to be doing. Father, allow our lives to be transformed by your desire, your will, Lord God. Let us recognize what is important to you. Let it be important to us. And I pray, Father, that as the message comes forth, as your spirit begins to stir each heart, Lord, that they will, you'll ignite a, a, a special faith in all of us and cause us, Lord, not to be afraid or resistant to coming to your throne, Lord. Let us come boldly into your throne of grace that we might find help in a time of need, Lord God. And I thank you for the fact that you have promised not to leave us weak. And if we are in a weakened state, it's because of our choices we've made, certainly not because of what your grace and mercy has been afforded to us and allowed. Father, we need to be transformed and changed for the time in which we live, for the generation, for those that are living around us need to be transformed and changed. They need to see more from our lives than simply religion or some kind of practice or some kind of discipline in our life. They need to see the kingdom of God, your kingdom being established in our hearts. And our, the kingdom being established in our hearts then will be extended to those as we minister in spirit and in truth, Lord. You've called us to be ambassadors, Lord, ambassadors of this incredible grace, ambassadors of reconciliation. You've not called us, Lord God, to judge, but you called us, Lord God, by giving us the right heart and giving us the right way to pray. We might align ourselves with your will and way and give you the glory along the way in this journey we call life, being transformed every step of the way. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord, hear our cry. Psalm 115, starting at verse 1, and I want you to notice the way the psalmist begins in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and your faithfulness. Then he goes down to verse 2 and says, Why do the nations say, Where is their God? Speaking of God's people. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold made by hands of men. They have mouths that cannot speak, eyes that cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who made them will be like them. They will, all who trust in them. O house of Israel, verse 9, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is your help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike. And 
if you were thinking that he was only going to bless the house of Israel and of Aaron, he goes on and say, oh, no, no, no. He will bless those who fear the Lord. Amen. Small and great alike. That's short and tall. <laughs> may the Lord make you increase. Both you and your children, may, the, may you be blessed by the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praises the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who exalt the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Give a hand clap. Go ahead and do that. Clap praise. Just thank you for the word. Amen. This passage of scripture is power packed, actually, when you think about it. When you dig into it a little bit. When you get the surrounding of it, you find out that this scripture here, this psalm, was written when God's people, Israel, in fact, their behavior didn't warrant his blessing at all. And as a result, the psalmist is crying out. And in fact, that's something you're going to hear quite often from the hearts of those who are significantly used in the kingdom of God, those who cry out unto our God. And you'll hear them crying out. In fact, as you hear the psalmist crying out at this point, he's crying out and he's saying, Lord, we have nothing to present to you. We have nothing to present to you to make you move on our behalf. There's nothing we can do to manipulate you to do, do anything on our, half, on our behalf. Our prayer isn't enough. Our virtue isn't enough to present to you. Our testimony and our witness isn't enough to make you move on our behalf. In fact, he goes on to say, in essence, he's saying, we have, in fact, fallen far short of what we ought to be. We have fallen short of the testimony that we are to have to the living God, to you. We have fallen short of the testimony we are to have to those who are unsaved living around us. So we're not presenting you, Lord, anything of ourselves. What we're calling on is your name. Please do what you need to do because of your name. Your name deserves to be praised. Your name deserves to be glorified. See, your name deserves to be glorified, Lord. You have chosen, my Lord, to work through your people. You have chosen to have your name glorified through your people, whom you have chosen on this old earth. Through the church of Jesus Christ. Not this local congregation. The church of Jesus Christ those around the world who name the name of Christ, every language, every tongue, every tribe, every people. You deserve to be glorified. I'll tell you something. When you begin to cry out with that kind of voice, when you come from your prayer closet and you cry out, I'll tell you what, when you cry out like that, quite often than not, you're going to find the character of God responding to that kind of call. When you come out of your prayer closet and you're saying, Lord, I have nothing, I have absolutely nothing to bring you. When you're honest and you say, Lord, I, I am not faithful as you describe faithfulness. I'm not separate as you describe in your word to be separate. My mind's not always on things of God. I don't always pray without ceasing as your word says I should. And I'm not always thinking about things that are worthy and of glory and of virtue. But you, O oh Lord, you are bound 
You have bound the honor of your name. You've bound the, you've interwound, interwined the, 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 the honor of your name with my life. And based upon that knowledge, not what I am, who I am, based on that knowledge of your will and desire, I come to you. You chose me, Lord. You chose me. You've provided a way of salvation. Amen. And now you indwell in me, and you call me your own, even when I was in a, a, a lost sinner's state, a low estate. Therefore, Lord, your name, for your name's sake, Lord, for your name's sake, Lord, change me. Allow that transformation to continue. Let it bring glory and honor to you. Change me for your name's sake, Lord. The prayer from our closet ought to be, deepen me, Lord God, for your namesake. Wash me for your namesake, Lord. Empower me for your namesake, Lord. Bring increase into my life for your namesake. Not for me or my plan, but for your namesake. That should be our cry. So often we go before the Lord for our namesake. For our desires and our wants and what we desire God to do in our lives and bring about the good report that we would like. But remember, when the psalmist is writing here, he's, he's crying out. He's crying out in the midst of a fallen people, a backslidden people. People did not deserve to be blessed. And so he calls on the Lord and he says, for your namesake, Lord, move sovereignly because we can't do it ourselves. We can clean the place up. We can paint it. We can look good. We can put on the outward. But Father, we need you to move. We need you to move sovereignly. And that theme doesn't, isn't just contained in Psalm 115. If you go over to Ezekiel, chapter 36, looking at verse 22, look what happens. Therefore, the Lord says, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for what? Your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. Notice this. For the sake of my holy name, what you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. Then I will show myself holy to, to you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And I will save you from your uncleanliness. And I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of your trees and crops of the fields so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. He says, I will do this. Not because you deserve it, but for my name's sake. I would do that. So often we pray the wrong attitude. Certainly we come before the Lord and so often in the climate in which we're living in that society, we're always looking out for ourselves. But the scripture says, you want revival, you want transformation and change in your life, then you do it for my name's sake. You cry out for my name's sake. Let that become the motivation for our transformation and change to put down things that would entangle us and 
enslave us. And get rid of all those things that are anti-God, anti-Christ. That bind and grieve the Holy Spirit. God is saying in verse 22, he says, he's saying to his people, I'm going to take you for my name's sake. I'm going to bring you back from everything that's captivated your heart, everything that has diminished the testimony of my name. Why would he do all of this? It's simple, for the testimony of my name. Verse 24, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back unto your own land. He said, I'm going to draw you one more time. I'm going to wash you one more time. I'm going to cleanse you one more time. And I'm going to give you a heart to turn to me and follow me. I will put my spirit upon you. And I'm going to increase you on every side. No more will the nations mock you when they look at you and say, are these the people of God? No more, he says, no more. No more. I'm going to do all this for my name's sake. I'm tired of the mocking. Verse 2 of Psalm 115 says, why do the nations say, where is their God? And I think that's a question each one of us had to ask ourselves. And it's not just the nations that are asking, but we need to ask ourselves, why do our neighbors, what do our neighbors think of our God? Do they have the same attitude? And I, think, and I have to ask the question, why? Why, why, why? Why should anyone be allowed to mock the church of Jesus Christ? Why? Why should the church of Jesus Christ lose its authority and its influence? And why should we become saltless? Why? Why? We serve Almighty God. We serve a God who created the universe. We serve a God of the promises the word is true. We, we have the history behind us. We have a future before us. Why, oh, why should we allow the church, why should we allow Jesus himself to be mocked? Why? Why? In the passage of Scripture, specifically in Psalm 115, we find that uh, God is about to abandon his people. We find the same thing happening there. With Moses, he's about to abandon his people. He's tired of it. Exodus, 20, Exodus 32, he's had it up to here. As you go through that text, we'll go there in a moment. Moses steps in. God wants to abandon his people. He's ticked off. Moses steps in and says, wait a minute, Lord. And he presents an argument to God. Now, the reason why God's ticked off, why he's mad at Israel, is because Israel was to bring the message. He was, they were to bring the hope to the world. They were to reveal who God really was. His care, Jehovah, was to be revealed through Israel. And Israel was backslidden. Israel was caught up in unbelief. Their testimony wasn't equal to their lifestyle. They walked around saying, yes, we are God's chosen. We are the special of God. But their words did not reflect their actions and attitudes. And so the world said, where is their God? Where is their God? Moses steps in and says, Lord, I know you're angry over the testimony, over the people that should know better, they ought to know better, but they don't. I know you're ticked off. And the Lord would have walked away. But for this one man, Moses, who stood in, in the gap as an intercessor. And I believe that's exactly what the Lord is asking for us to do. To be that voice. Step in as an intercessor and say, Lord, not on our behalf, but for your namesake. For your namesake, Lord, fill this place. Not just this place. Congregations around this country who name the name of Christ stand in the gap. 
Starting at verse 9, the Lord says to, to Moses, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Verse 10, now leave me alone. Look what the Lord's saying. Leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them. Let me ask you something. If Israel was destroyed, if God called and fulfilled what he was saying at this point, what did Moses have to lose? Absolutely nothing. In fact, he would have had a better life. He would have had an easier life. Why? Because the Lord said, let me destroy them. For then I will make you a what? Great nation. Wow. Moses, you got to think this out right now. Just wait a minute because I see the history. These people are going to drive you absolutely nuts. They're going to go through these cycles. They're not going to enter the promised land. All this stuff's going to happen. You're going to, you ought to think twice. Maybe, maybe the best thing for you, Matt, Moses, is to let the Lord just destroy them and take them off the planet because he's going to give you a great people. But look what Moses does. Verse 11, but Moses sought the Lord, the favor of the Lord, and said, Oh, Lord, why should your anger burn against the, your people? whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and your mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster upon your people. And then he goes back to history, verse 13. He says, I want you to remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self, your word that you're going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give your descendants all the land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Verse 14, the Lord relented and did not bring upon the people the disaster he had threatened. Moses stood in the gap. Moses stood in the gap and said, Lord, I know they have failed. They're not what they claim to be. I understand that. They have created and crafted another image They've abandoned, Lord God, your will and way. But Lord, don't do this. Don't abandon your people. Don't let the unsaved say the word of God can't be trusted. Don't let them declare you to be unfaithful. Just because your people aren't living as if you truly are alive and they're not living according to your will and way, don't let the world, don't let those around say, hey, you can't trust God. You can't trust his word. These people claim to be a certain way, but they're not. If you destroy them, Moses was saying, the Egyptians are going to say, you just brought them out. You brought these people out so you could hurt them, so you could kill them in the mountains. You could consume them from the face of the... Don't do this, Lord. Don't allow your name to be tarnished. And that ought to be our cry. Don't let your name be tarnished through our lives. Don't let your name be tarnished in light of our family and our friends and the places we work and the influence around us. Don't let your name be tarnished, Lord. Don't cause our life to ask people to ask, where is, where is their God? Where is their God? In Numbers 14th chapter, it continues. People refusing to go into the promised land, the land God had given them. The scripture goes on and says, verse 1, that night all the people in the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Not in joy, no, 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 not at all. All the Israelites, they were grumbling what were we doing against Moses and Aaron? And the whole assembly said, if only. 
How many times? You know, this, I'll tell you right now, as children of God, we've got to get rid of those words, if only, in our lives. If only, if only what? He says, if only, if only we had died in Egypt. Well, soon they forgot. There was a period of time when they were crying out in Egypt to be set free. If we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will take plunder. Wouldn't it have been better off for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And what does Moses do again? Verse 11, he cries out. Because for number one, the Lord says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs? You know, we get this idea that if God would just work a miracle in their lives, if, if God would just answer prayer in that person's life, everything would be transformed and changed. I'm going to tell you something. History reveals to us, unless the heart has changed, all the miracles, all the intervention of God in answering prayer means nothing if the heart hasn't changed, if we don't have the right values and the right focus. He said, in spite of all the miraculous signs I perform among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, and I will make you a great... He said, I will make a nation greater and stronger than they. Now they're even greater and stronger this time around. And, and then Moses, once again, verse 13, says, Lord, wait a minute. They're driving me nuts too. They're a pain in my backside. I understand that. But the Egyptians will hear about it. That by your power you brought these people up from among them, and they'll tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at once, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, Lord, is that able to bring these people into the land he promised them with an oath? So we slaughter them in the desert. Think about the spiritual point, the implication, the principles behind that passage. We name the name of Christ. We talk about our salvation. We talk about a blessed hope. And yet we're not living accordingly. And the world says, are you kidding me? Can we really trust the Lord that somehow he's going to provide a miracle in their lives? He's made certain promises to them. He can't even fulfill those promises. What's up, you know? And once again, Moses steps in. Don't let, your, don't let your people go down in defeat. Because the heathen will say, the unsaved will say, the ones outside the kingdom are going to say, your word can't be trusted, Lord. Your promises can't be trusted. You let your people go down in defeat. Now, Lord, I pray, let the power of, let your power, Lord, be great. As it was spoken, as you desire. Let the world see your power. Let them see your anointing. That's the first part of the intercession. The second part comes in verse 19 when he says this. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you pardoned them from time from the time they left Egypt till now. It's not like it's the first time, Lord, we've had to deal with this thing. But Lord, I'm asking you, please, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people Amen. Forgive. He was saying, I want you to come in power. I want you to come to us in strength. You are a long-suffering God and abundant in mercy and forgiving iniquity and transgressions. 
Do it once again. Pardon these folks, Lord. Sovereignly move because we can't do it ourselves. I put down James chapter 2, verse 13. I think it's a powerful passage of Scripture. It says, because justice, a judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who does not or has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're so quick to judge. So quick to judge. And the Lord says, when you get your attitude where you're judging those around you, guess what? You will be judged without mercy. But instead of judging, why don't we take and begin to apply mercy to those around? Because if we apply mercy to those around without judging them, without wanting somehow bad to come upon them, without wanting a fleas of a thousand camels to infect their armpits or something like that, we say, Lord, no, 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 Lord, Father, we show mercy. Anoint my eyes that I can see them as you see them. And remind me, Lord God, of the mercy I have received from you. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to let that thing sink in. Because I'll tell you something, I've learned this over the years, and I believe this to be true, and you might be able to testify of the same, that when you begin to pray for others, God begins to answer your prayer life. See, His mercy still triumphs over justice. It's for the honor of His name. God, honor your name. Lord, honor the name of Jesus Christ. See, we need to pray. Lord God Almighty, we invite you to this to do something in each of us so profound, so deep, so powerfully that the whole world will have to stand up and take note. That's what we're looking for. And again, it's just not about crossroads. It's about for God's people. The churches in our community. Churches outside our community. Every language, every tongue, every nation. Father, do something profound so that the world will have to stand up and take note. We need to pray for revival. But the revival needs to come not just to this congregation, Lord, but the entire church needs to be revived. And we need to be praying, Father, I want you to move so powerfully that no one can touch the glory, that no one can say this happened because we did it or because we had a sign or a steeple or because we had good PR. No, no, no. No, we didn't have a special preacher. No, we were just here, Lord. It was something you did. It was all about you. And that's the reason why we need a sovereign move of God, a sovereign touch of God in our lives. Psalms 115 says, He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. And that's our call. And that's our cry. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message we're to be bringing to the lost and dying world. We're to bring this. Oh, listen to me. The Lord, He blesses those who fear the Lord. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from. We we desire that the Lord would, would make you to increase, both with you and your children. We want you to be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the message of the gospel. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. And we know the passage of Scripture. We, we say it so often. And God was saying, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. 
On Thursday, we had the time of gathering around the flagpole. We prayed for nations. And so this is in keeping with that theme, that idea. Oh, that we would be God's people. We would cry out together and see his face. Amen. In Luke, the 11th chapter, Jesus was praying in a certain place. The verse tells us in verse 1, and as he was finished, one of the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gives them not the Lord's prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. That's really what it should be. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. That's a tough one, isn't it? But lead us not into temptation. He didn't end there. He goes on to verse 5, and he tells a parable. And I want us to see the connection between what Jesus was speaking. He was saying, this is how you pray. The disciples are asking. He said, this is how you pray. And then he goes into a parable. He talks about a man who at midnight awakens his friend. He's looking for three loaves of bread because a friend of his has come from a journey. It's not it's going to come, and the man's got no, no food in the house. Couldn't be Italian. Had to be something. In verse 5, he says, Jesus says to them, now remember, they've asked him, teach us to pray. And so now Jesus is going to teach them to pray. He, he tells them how to pray in the Father's name, etc. And now he's going to give them a parable. He's going to talk a little bit deeper. He says, look, suppose one of you have a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I have nothing set before him. Now, what time is it? 12 a.m., midnight. And you get this knock. And husband rolls over and says, Go see who it is. <laughs> you know. 12 o'clock, are you kidding me? Can't wait till the morning? Now, the man that's knocking on the door, he knows it's midnight. He's got a friend coming. He's got no food, nothing to give him. And I want you to see this. There's a spiritual principle here. A man comes looking for help, looking for provision, and the man is coming because he's got a friend coming and he has no provision. He doesn't have what that man needs. So he goes to someone who has. That's important. That's humility. That's the beginning of humility. For the man who has nothing to come to his neighbor's house and knock on the door at midnight and say, I have nothing, that's a step of humility. He's not conning and he's telling the truth. I have nothing to give. Nothing is set before him. That admission begins... There it is, the beginning of humility. See, I was thinking, you know, when we still present ourselves before our Lord, when we still present our plan that we have, that we feel God is obligated to bless, when we present our virtue, when we present uh, before a holy God all that we are, our accomplishments are made, I'm going to tell you something, when we start doing that, we make the mistake of cutting ourselves off from our own supply. Because it's humility. It's humility which opens the door of heaven. Not that faith to be able to claim things. No, it's humility. This is, Lord, I have nothing. You have the resources. There are those around me who have spiritual needs, and I don't have, the, I don't have what it takes, Lord. Please, Father, fill, bring, provide. See, when we're still presenting our plan before our God, 
We cut off our own supply. But when we come to the Lord and say, I have nothing. I, I don't have what it takes to meet the spiritual needs around me. Mm. And then the second part of this humility is declaration. I'm going to tell you something. At midnight, when he's knocking on his friend's door looking for the bread, he's not whispering, going, hey, hey, wake up. He's not doing that. He's knocking on the door shouting, hey, wake up. He's, and now, I'm going to tell you something. That community, there's houses all over the place. You can see the little lights come on. Hey, shut up. Don't you know what time it is? Can you imagine what was going on there? He didn't care. He doesn't care. He, he doesn't care. Part of humility is a declaration saying, declaring that I have a need. He doesn't care who hears it. He doesn't care who gets awakened. He doesn't care about the hour at that point. He's declaring He's declaring bankruptcy, his bankruptcy in a, in a public kind of way. It's midnight and I'm bankrupt. He's saying, listen, I know what bread looks like, but I don't have any. See, it's not enough. When you've got a hungry bunch of folks, it's not enough to bring out pictures of food. Here's a picture of our supper. Here's a picture of a nice steak. Here it is. It's not enough just to describe what food looks like. There's a spiritual principle there. See, oftentimes in our witness, that's all we're doing. We're providing the world around us a picture of what salvation looks like, a picture of what God is, a picture of the promises. That's what we're doing. That's how we share the gospel. We present a picture. But they're guilty. We find ourselves guilty of describing something we don't really have. You see, people need to see a different lifestyle. They need to see a different lifestyle than the one we have chosen. They need to see our lifestyle standing in stark, stark contrast to the way they're living. And it's not something we ought to get in their face about. It's something they ought to see. They ought to see that difference in our life. Yeah. We fit in when we shouldn't fit in. We're of another kingdom. We're not of the kingdom of this world. But too often we fit in. We fit in. Well, anyways, it's midnight. It's midnight. It's midnight, folks. And we need to be just like this man. It's midnight in our society. It's midnight in the climate which we're living in. And we need to be like this man. And we need to be able to come before him. And we need to knock on heaven's door. And we need to say, Father, I need compassion. I need everything that you have for me. I need compassion. I need courage, the courage of your son. I need the power of your Holy Spirit, the compassion of the Father. I need, oh God, everything. If my life's going to make a difference to those around me, I need all that you've got. Because dressing a certain way and having a certain testimony, we've figured out the ABCs of salvation and having scripture verses memorized and, and sharing isn't going to be enough. Coming together and singing some songs and, and going through the motions isn't enough. There's got to be a movement of the Spirit of God within our lives so our worship is an expression of who we are. And this man's not whispering through that door. He's desperate. and He's knocking. Lend me three loaves of bread. Provide for me. Remember, this is all comes about because the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray. Well, he gets an answer. Go away, are you nuts? Do you know what time it is? You're waking up the community. I see you in the morning. Can't this wait? Don't bother me. 
It's already locked. I'm in bed. Kids are in bed. I'm not getting up. Go away. You're the fool didn't have enough food in the house. Verse 8, I'll tell you though, he will not get up and give the bread because he's his friend. Yet because of what? The man's boldness. Because of his boldness, he'll get up and give as much as he needs. He's not going to rise up. The man's in the house isn't going to rise up because, because of friendship. No, because of his persistence. And that's what happens. That spirit, that's what happens when we begin to stand and knock at Christ's heart. We have a passion for the lost. And we recognize we don't have it in ourselves. We don't have it in the ability of our preaching, the message, the church. We don't have it in our personal selves to see that kind of revival. And we stand at God's door and we knock at his heart. And then suddenly the door will open. And two hands come out with nail scars with all the bread that we need from his hand. And that's the reason why when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave what? Gifts to men. What that's referring to, that's referring to that the supply that we need was one for you and I on the cross of Calvary. And when we knock on, on, on the door, that door again, we're not just knocking for ourselves. When we go before heaven itself and knocking, Father, provide, Father, we need, it's not for ourselves. But for the ultimate goal, it's for others those that are dying and perishing in this dark time. Well, Jesus is going to conclude this parable by saying this. So I say unto you, ask and it will be given unto you, seek and you will find, knock and door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, who seeks, finds, who knocks, to whom knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your father, if the son asks for fish, will give him a snake instead? What was the part that I left out? Something about asking for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Let's never let that out. Forget that. <coughs> Acts chapter 2. Now we're going to bring in the Spirit of the Most High. Verse 1 says, The day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one, in one place. And suddenly, say it with me, suddenly. That means it wasn't expected. All of a sudden it just happened. You ever have something suddenly happen? You jump out of your skin. What was that about, you know? Suddenly, the scripture says, like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, verse 4. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I started thinking, you know, who gathered in the upper room on that first day of Pentecost? Who gathered? 120 failures. 120 wannabes. 120 folks just like you and I go into the upper room because they had a promise. Why? Why did they go? They had a promise. That's all. They had a promise from God. And the promise was that they were going to be filled with power. The promise was that they were going to become living witnesses of His. And they were going to start where they are and go beyond where they were. And the promise from our Lord was to them, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to sovereignly move, not because of who you are or because of what you provide me or what you have provided for me. No, no, no. I'm going to sovereignly move. I'm going to do this for my name's sake. 
You've tried to do it in your own strength. You came up with your plans and purpose. And you built these, wow. But you can't change the heart. But now you come to me knocking on the door of heaven. Because you come to me knocking on the door of heaven, recognizing you have nothing, I will fill you. I'll fill you with only can come from my hand. Now, folks, I don't know exactly how they prayed in the upper room. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what they prayed. But I'm going to surmise. They might have prayed something like this. Lord, here we are. We've got nothing to present to you or to this generation. Our plans for the kingdom, well, was interrupted by your death and resurrection. Here we are. We, we are, we are facing a generation which is steeped in, in, power, in a powerless religion. They're caught up in all kinds of things going on, all kinds of entertainment and megachurch, whatever. We're caught up in all these things. Swallowed up by the Roman, by, by the military might. We're swallowed up by this new society, this new order that's declaring itself superior to the ways of God and the earth. Sound familiar? Are we not caught up with the same kind of thing? A society right now which is developing a new society, a new order, which is declaring itself to be superior to the ways of our God. That's what we're facing right now. That is our challenge. And I'm sure they prayed that kind of way. They, you know, Lord, Lord, they prayed, you, you, here's the situation we're in, and you promised, you told us we would receive power. Let it never be said, Lord, that your word can't be trusted. Let it never be said, Lord, that your promises have no power. Let it never be said, Lord, that your people who are called by your name are no different than the society around us. Let it never be said, Lord, that through our lives, your word can't be trusted. Let it never be said, Lord, that our testimony about your promises have no power. If we have a testimony, Father, there needs to be power. If, Father, if we speak, there needs to be anointing. There needs to be authority. Let it never be said from this day forward that those who are called by your name are no different than the powerless religion and self-focused, self, self-pushing society that's around us. Let it never be said. Of this, of your people, Lord. And I'll tell you something, they knocked on heaven's door. I think they prayed that kind of prayer and they knocked on heaven's door just as in the parable, we need a knock and, and then verse 2 says, and then suddenly, suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled this place. They're all in one accord and suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. Suddenly, heaven's door was opened. Suddenly, the bread of heaven was released. And suddenly, there was provision. Those 120 found provision. What they needed to make an impact on their generation to those around, that the provision was released in them. And I thank God for the truth and knowing that He has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what occurred then can occur now. His desire has not changed at all. His power hasn't been diminished. His word, his desires, his promises. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Suddenly. You know, as you go back through history, we're going to note that there have been moments throughout history since the day of Pentecost that society has been on the brink. Societies have been on the brink of collapse and to an almost 
unspeakable darkness. But even in those periods of time, even in those times, he still had a remnant. He still has a people that would, 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 would storm the gates of heaven on the behalf of those who are falling, on the behalf of the name and testimony of God. See, it's all about his glory, folks. The reason, reason why we gather together on Sunday morning, the reason why we get together on Wednesday night, Bible study, why we have devotions, why we worship, why we pray, why we listen to Christian music, why? It's for his glory. It's for his glory and for the souls of men. We've got to get this. It's for his glory and for the souls of men. That was the reason why the early church, they stormed heaven's gates. It was for God's glory and for those who were fallen, those who didn't know, who didn't understand. Storm the gates of heaven. That's what we need to do. We need to storm the gates of heaven. And then suddenly, that word suddenly, I love that word suddenly. There's this rush of mighty wind comes in. The preservation of God is there released suddenly in their hearts. There's an explosion of life suddenly. I'm going to promise you something. Write this down. Hold me to it because it's God's word. I'm going to tell you something. Suddenly, if we will press in our God, into our God, a sudden moment's going to happen. You're going to experience a sudden moment. Suddenly, the words that are spoken from his word will come to life in your heart. Suddenly, the promises will be real. Suddenly, you feel like getting up and doing things you never thought you could do in your own strength. Suddenly, you'll have compassion in your heart for the people you hate. Oh, no, we won't say that. Yeah, there's some folks we hate. There's some folks that we've written off. Folks we say, they're losers, man. We've tried everything we could possibly do. There is no hope for them. You hate what they do. You hate how they smell. You hate how they look. You just hate. You just hate. And suddenly, you begin to weep. You begin, you begin to weep in your, in your prayer closet for them. And suddenly, you know it's him. You begin to speak words of kindness, power, and bread of, bread of promise to new life. And suddenly in the workplace, you begin to speak truth, truth with compassion. You'll have this, this compassion with a faith, a faith about the future, and, and people around are going to say, what happened to Joe? What happened to this man? What happened to this woman? Where did it all come from? It came from a knowledge of who he is, his desires. They say, well, where do these uplifting words come from? They weren't like that before. Here's what you can say. You can say, well, I went to a doorway. I went to a doorway where, where my God is, and I knocked. And I said to him, I said, Lord, I have nothing, but you have everything that I need. That's what your message should be. And then it should continue. Why don't you come with me? And together we can knock. Together we can pray. Together. We can pray that God will give you what he's given me. Together. And I believe, and suddenly, and suddenly, there can come a sound of a mighty rushing wind and fill the house. Scripture said that suddenly when the, when the Spirit of God came like that, they began to speak in things that the world did not understand, did not know before. People were amazed. They, they understood some of the words that were spoken, but they didn't understand the impact. Not at that point, the impact of divine life. It would enable them to 
to reach society. People they could not have reached before. Right after that experience, that sudden experience, they're standing in the marketplace and they're crying out. They're making a public declaration who God is and what God is and what He does and what His promises are. Talking about His power. Talking about how His Word can be trusted. And everything He said is true. It's all coming out with the bread of heaven. And suddenly... 3,000 plus people had no religion. The only religion they had was empty, right? They had no hope. They're bending their knees now and they're saying, He is the Lord. God Almighty, He is the Lord. And they give their lives unto Christ as their Lord. 3,000 people that day. And people, Peter's going to stand up and Peter's going to, going to defend the gospel. See, there are ordinary people and ordinary people are confronted with this this, 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 this speaking in extraordinary ways, they don't understand. So Peter's going to stand up and he's going to talk to them. Peter, who had denied Jesus. Peter, who was a coward. Peter, but now he's seen the resurrection power. He's experienced something in his life. It's like a fire shut up in his bones and he stands up with the 11, raised his voice and addresses the fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain to you. Listen carefully. What I, these men aren't drunk. Use your head. It's still morning. I love that. I just love that. That little phrase that he just released to the people like that. No, in the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's not just a, a, a New Testament Acts church kind of experience. No, this is what the pastor scripture says. Lastly, God will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. By the way, I... I consider myself a young man seeing visions still. Just, just for the record. <laughs> Verse 18, Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will what? prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above, signs in earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great glorious day of our Lord. And this is what's important. Verse 21, And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, it's interesting to me as I read through this, it's for easy for us to get caught up in the last days, you know, and what he's talking about there, the power of God and spirit and prophecies and dreaming dreams and all this happening in science. Get up all caught up in that and miss 21 because verse 21 is what it's all about. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's my point. Here's my point. My point is that ordinary religion Passing out pitchers of bread isn't going to make a difference for hungry, for the hungry that are in people's lives. Telling them what they need to do, telling them, explaining to them, isn't going to do it. There has to be a living demonstration of the power of God. Folks, there can be no long, we can't, no more empty arguments about Jesus Christ. No more speaking truth in a way that's just words. Paul said this, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. When you know, when you finally, when the power of God, when, when you finally realize that God loves them, the ones that you would just like to diss yourself for, God loves them. God loves them and you realize God loves them, but I don't. 
When you come to that aha moment, you need to realize that you need the bread of life. You need the bread of heaven to be able to love them. You need a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit. You need to be willing to say, Lord Jesus, for your honor, the honor of your name. Don't let these people look at me and say, God doesn't fulfill his promises. Don't let these people look at my life and say, God has no power at all. Don't let the Egyptians look at my life. Those who are outside the kingdom look at my life and say, God's not real. Don't let my life bring them to a conclusion that God's not real. Folks, I believe with all my heart that we're in a divine moment in history. And I believe it's a dark moment. But it's a light moment as well. Because I believe, and I know this to be true, it just makes sense. We experience it day by day. When you walk into a dark room, when you turn on the light, what happens? It may be a dark moment, but it's a light moment as well. When the light of God begins to shine, the shines its best in darkness. When it, it, it does, it, it lights up. It brings to, re, to reality everything around. Only if we're pre- willing to press on in our God, only are we willing to press on Will he open that door? It's the end of the service. The altars are going to be open. We'll give an altar call. An altar is a place where we step out, step forward. We, we are consecrating our lives. We are agreeing with the Lord. We're saying, Father, we've heard the message we hear, and I'm coming and I'm believing that you're going to do something in my life and through my life. I'm coming and I'm believing that you're going to make me a testimony. Not because of what I've done, the virtues, no, 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 but because for the honor of your name. Because your name is intertwined with my life. It's the time we come forward and we say, Lord, we we, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience. But I'm going to knock. I'm going to knock and I'm not going away. Just like the man in the parable, I'm not going to go away. Until you meet that need. Until you meet what? meet the need I'm asking for. And I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for those that are journeying around me. I've got to make a difference in their life. A pitcher of bread isn't going to work. We need to demonstrate the real power of anointing. Amen. I'm not going away until I have what I ask for. Not for me, but for your name, for your glory, for those around me, for those who know me. Does that make sense? Father, as we bring the service to a close, the altar will be open. We're going to come forward and spend some time in prayer. I want the theme for us to be simply revive us again for your name's sake, Lord. Have mercy upon your church, each one of us here, Lord, so that we might share mercy on those around. For your name's sake, Lord. Bring us to the place, Lord, where there's truly power. I know that we have the history of that. I know we see, we see you work within our lives. We see miracles, Lord. We see the answer to prayer. But, Father, we need it to a greater, greater measure. Your move in our lives, Lord, the spirit, the worship in this congregation needs to leave this place as it were a, sm- a smelling, <laughs> an aroma, an instant aroma that draws men unto yourself. Thank you, Lord God. And I, I pray that we'll recognize that you're making us a church of servants. Continue, Lord God, to equip us and prepare us in that way. 
as a house of servants, Lord, I pray that you'll fill us with your spirit that we might be people praying once again like never before. I thank you, Lord, for your kingdom. I thank you for your power. I thank you for the glory that belongs only to you. Because I know without you, Lord, without your mercy, without... We need your mercy. When we recognize that mercy, Lord, we'll begin to praise you and, and, and we will bless you and give you the glory, Lord. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's find a place of prayer on the altar. But let's just kind of cry out before our Lord. Say, Father, here we are. We're knocking. There's a world around us that needs a whole lot, and we don't have what it takes. We need your sovereign move in our lives.
worship him, worship him alone. Amen. Father, I pray as we leave this place, will we leave renewed, Lord, with a greater understanding, spending more time in your closet, your prayer closet, Lord, calling upon your name, recognizing those around us, anoint our eyes and might see folks differently, Lord. You might set them free. We love you so much. Help us to love you even greater. Forgive us, Lord, in those areas of our lives we still struggle with because we know that through your word and through your spirit we have hope for that transformation to occur. I am not what I am going to be, but I certainly, Lord God, am on the right road. And I thank you for your grace. I ask now you bless us. As we leave this place, let's return to you, my Lord, in our prayer closets throughout the land. May you receive the glory and the honor. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Folks, you've been dis- you are dismissed in Jesus' name.